And now, from Luminary Media and the University of Chicago Institute of Politics, The Axe Files, with your host, David Axelrod. For my latest Axe Files show on CNN, we did something a little different. We went to Iowa, home of the first in the nation presidential caucuses, to catch up with the candidates, activists, and especially the voters who on a snowy winter night in February will winnow down this democratic field. What follows are portions of those conversations. One of my first stops was to see David Yepsen, an old friend and certified Iowa sage who for more than three decades was the lead political writer for the Des Moines Register. So uh, I've asked this question of others, uh, and you know this very well because you're a student of these things, but the country sort of looks at Iowa and says, who are they right. to make this decision? Um, so I guess my question is to you, what is the answer to that question? Is Iowa really the filter through which these candidates uh, should pass? And do you think there'll come a point when um, the national parties, um, when the national parties decide this isn't the way to go? It could. Um, every four years, I heard, oh, this will be the last year Iowa's important. Um, Iowa's important because Iowa's first. The people here in Iowa have, you know, they're, they have no market on being good Americans who are trying to do their civic duty. Um, and, and I don't think Iowa ought to be so parochial as to say, geez, if there's a better way we can pick our presidents, we ought to um, But they get do seem it. to take it very seriously. They do. And th- particularly this year. I mean, they've been told they're important f- so long they've come to believe it. And, and the real front runner in Iowa right now is undecided. And that will still be true two weeks before the caucuses. Caucus goers understand gaffes occurred, uh, you know, things blow up in campaigns and, and, and they might have a preference and, and then they have to be undecided for a while while they rethink the field. I was important because I was first and I was important because the country can't agree on an alternative. Bernie Sanders knows Iowa well. In 2016, he lost the caucuses by a hair to Hillary Clinton, but left with the momentum of an upstart challenger turned serious contender. I am a big fan of the Iowa caucus process. And what impresses me, David, is I think the people of Iowa understand the oversized role they play in the American political process, and they take it seriously. So I suspect there are many, many thousands of people who will go to my rallies and events, will go to other candidates' rallies, and really size up the candidates, think about the issues, and try to decide which candidate best reflects their views. That's pretty impressive. You know, in a time when so many people are disillusioned and giving up on politics, the people of Iowa deserve a lot of credit for being actively involved in the political process. For Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg, the caucuses are new, but they know that to advance, they have to survive the vetting process that is Iowa. They've made me a better candidate from the first visit that I was here because people do take it seriously. They show up and they show up because they care. They show up because they know they're invested in the outcome. And they show up prepared to challenge, prepared to listen, prepared to talk. And, um, you know, this is the best of our democracy when that happens, right? Well, it's got its own energy, it's got its own culture and style, but what I love about it is it's friendly, it's nice. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong, it's, it's a vigorous and fierce competition, but uh, people expect you and, by the way, your supporters to interact well with each other, and I think it, there's a kind of ethic about it that I appreciate. You can tell that the Iowa voters, caucus goers, really uh, take their role seriously as a kind of vetting committee. 
uh, because they're out uh, in front, and you, you can sense that. Uh, and uh, there's just a kind of spirit to the whole thing that I think really does uh, bring us down to earth, off of the TV airwaves, out of the national picture, and into a room uh, with a bunch of other fired-up Democrats wanting to see where the future's going to be. Inquiring Democrats, you see them sometimes three and four and five times. Oh, yeah. These people are not going to sign on the dotted line. No, I'm talking to a lot of people. They say, I, I think you're fantastic. You're in my top four. Yes. And I think, well, I guess that's what you get for being in a field of 25. Or yeah, top four is are. pretty good. In yeah, exactly. Bad. I'm like, I'll take it. But uh, they're, they're not going give to give that vote out easily. They really want to weigh and uh, poke and prod your, your ideas and, and I think your character. Uh, and really get to know you, but uh, I think that's part of the value of, of the, the system, the process, as quirky as it is, that uh, requires you to convince people at a much more intimate level. I was not just a contest of candidates and ideas. It's very much a test of organization. I was joined on my trip back by Paul Tooze, an old Iowa caucus hand who built the campaign here in 2007 and early 2008 that would launch Barack Obama to the presidency. One of the first calls that we made when Barack Obama was running for president was to Paul Tooze. He had run uh, the Iowa for Al Gore in 2000, and we knew we needed to win the Iowa caucuses. We wanted the best person to organize the kind of campaign, grassroots campaign, that we envisioned. Paul Tooze was the kind of inspirational leader, the Sherpa, that we needed to win the Iowa caucuses. It's a different animal because you're asking people, you know, a primary or, or an election for that matter is a closed ballot. You know, people go into a voting booth or vote from home and you don't need to tell people who you're voting for. It's a very silent thing. Uh, a caucus is a public thing. You know, you go to a meeting in your neighborhood, you stand up, you have to, in front of your friends, in front of your neighbors, declare who you're for. Um, it's an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, depending on the size. So it's a big commitment for people. Emily Parcell, a lifelong Iowan, was Obama's political director during the caucus campaign of 2007 and 2008. Now she is Elizabeth Warren's senior advisor, bringing to bear the deep organizing techniques that help propel Obama forward. So everywhere I go, I say, who, who has the best organization out there? And, um, and to a person, whether I'm talking to reporters, activists, uh, you know, caucus attendees and so on, uh, they say, well, Warren, yeah. uh, unhesitatingly, they say she has a kick-ass, can I, can I say that on TV? Yeah. A kick-ass organization. Uh, what are you guys doing out there that is so impressing people? Well, we got here early. Um, I've had a lot of people ask, when did you make the decision that you were gonna make a claim in Iowa, it was not even a conversation. It was like day one, before even day one, what's the Iowa plan? How many people do you need? It was a, a strategic decision that I don't even really feel like was a decision. It was sort of a vision that was already there from the beginning. Um, and so we got in early. Uh, you know, In my experience doing the Iowa caucus, you need to be here for a year. You have to have people, one, open to your candidate, you have to be willing to have the conversations with them, not expect they're going to jump to support immediately. It's going to take time. Yes, it's an investment in the Iowa caucus and winning there and starting that domino effect and, and rolling through this like very brutal nomination calendar. But it's an investment in passing an agenda for the United States that is going to have to come from the grassroots. And so that, that takes time to build. You can't do that overnight. 
Well, in this building of community, it doesn't just entail talking to people about Elizabeth Warren. Right. It's relationship building. And that's part of it, again, goes back to the ethos of we're all in this together. And we have to find ways to find common ground with our neighbors who may not agree with us on every issue, with politicians that we may not agree with on every issue. But you have to find some way to pull together and do this thing that feels really hard. Um, and I think that's part of the leadership that the senator's providing and, and the tactics that are filtering all the way down to the field is this community building. And you get in, you know, we have that. We have uh, one of our organizers runs a community garden. One of our organizers runs a 5K most weekends and people run with her. Um, and it's not always transactional. It's not always about the politics. It's just like bringing people together and reminding us like community is where this country really gets the hard work done and the best work done. And, and that's whether we are successful in this or not, that is a piece of, um, of the puzzle that we really are proud of and that we want to leave behind. The targets of all that organizing, a quarter million or so Iowans, will make a fateful decision in February that will shape the election of 2020. So I sat down with eight of them to see what they're thinking about the race and their role in it. Uh, Steve Logston from Des Moines, Iowa. Sarah Bolton from Des Moines also. And Jeremy Anger from Newton, Iowa. I'm Lori Hunt and I'm from Des Moines. Janina Messerly and I'm from Fort Dodge, Iowa. Karina Keene and I'm from Ankeny. Tim Gannon from Mingo, Iowa. And Kanika Mays from Des Moines, Iowa. So it strikes me that at least from now to February, I'm sitting with some of the most powerful people in America. Because <laughs> right? you guys are going to decide, you know, who lives in this race and who doesn't, who moves forward and who doesn't of these 24 candidates who are running for president. And I guess my first question is, did, how seriously do you take that role uh, of sorting through these candidates for the rest of the country? Very seriously. Uh, I do. I'm a, well, I'm a political junkie, so it's, that's why I decided to stay in Iowa. You know, it's a nice front row seat to everything, and you meet a lot of great people coming in. Um, yeah. A lot of good friends, and, you know. And you, you not only meet friends, you meet candidates. Yeah. Like the place is lousy with candidates, right? It's, they're all over the place. But I, I think beyond just this group of people, uh, people ask me, well, why is so-and-so only at 2% or 3% right now, given advantages that they think they may have? And I said, Iowans do take this seriously. They want to mm -hmm. they want to meet people. They want to ask questions. They want to find out, uh, you know, is this per do we think this person uh, has the ability to be the president of the United States of America? And have you, have, have you all met some of the candidates already? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Everybody, huh? Mm -hmm. and, and how frequent a, an occurrence is that? I mean, do you go and seek meetings out uh, where the candidates are coming? Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it's almost weekly. At this point, it's almost yeah. weekly. I mean, I, I could be busy three nights a week. Mm -hmm. or, more. Or, or, or more. Or more, quite frankly. Yeah. This week, yeah. daily. Yeah, um, yeah, at this point, honestly. What is it? You don't even long. have to pay. No. no. Cheap no. entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and uh, do you... Do you feel like you're get, you actually get to know these candidates? I think it's so interesting because, you know, we think about presidential races in this big, vast country, and the people who are running to most of the country are figures they see on television. Yeah. But when you run in Iowa in the caucuses, 
it's like you're running for a local office. You relate to yeah. people in that <laughs> way. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it, it depends on what the venue is. If it, they're giving a big speech, you don't feel like you really get to know them. But I love the smaller venues. Well, they're talk, they will talk a little bit, and then you can ask questions and then go up and talk to them afterwards, too. So tell me some of the impressions. What are the most memorable things that you've encountered so far in, in, uh, in, in running across these candidates? Well, I'm a supporter of Beto O'Rourke, so I've seen him about four times. And the funny thing was, when he was at the Capitol for the oh, Gay Pride weekend, um, I saw him and he got done speaking and I just walked right up to him and talked to him and talked to his wife and they were just as nice as can be. But you can do that with a lot of the candidates. Now, were you a supporter of his from the beginning or did it, was it those four, was it a process for you before you said, yeah, that's, that's the person I want to be for? Well, I think it started when he talked about kneeling for the national anthem. Mm -hmm. and I thought before that was, he was running. That before. Was he was running for the Senate. Yes. And he was just a breath of fresh air and just have really read everything I can about him, positive and negative to see if he's the real deal. So the last person I supported was John Edwards, and I was a delegate for him, and we see how that worked out. So <laughs> won't be fooled again. So yeah. just trying to learn everything I can. I, I wouldn't hold yourself personally responsible here. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Um, I hear you. The, uh, and, and are there other people who have made uh, a firm decision already? I think for me, pretty close. I think for Iowa, it's like a top four, top five, but um, I do have a, a Castro or a Warren. Yeah, those are my top two. I would agree, mm -hmm. Warren for me. Yeah. And I never really liked her that much. You know, I was always for somebody else, you know, Camilla or even Joe Biden. And I think it was, his time was four years ago. You know, he's kind of faulting a little bit. He's not as strong as he used to be. But I like Warren because she's going to red states and talking about things where other candidates aren't. And she's a smart woman, she's got great policy. You know, I don't agree with all the policies Democrats are coming out with, like free education and things like that. It's, there's, it just doesn't work. But I think she's a solid and she's running a great campaign, in my opinion. Have you been uh, in a room with her? No, mm -hmm. no. Okay, well, what about some of the, you, you, you say you're down to two. Yeah. Uh, why? Um, for me, uh, Warren, um, her policy plans, for sure. Um, I definitely agree. Which of them, which policies are the ones that most appeal yeah, to Yeah, uh, Medicare are bust, for sure. Uh, my sister has uh, type 1 diabetes, and not everyone knows, but um, you need to have insulin for every carb that you intake, and it's something that is genetic when you um, get as a child. So um, without access to insulin, my sister would not be around. She is 17 years old. Mm. Uh, my father died of adenoid cystic carcinoma, and we had to go to the Mayo Clinic to get um, radiation treatments. And for every doctor's appointment, it was a trip to the Mayo Clinic, and that was from the Fort Dodge area. Uh, that's a lot. So, so hard. Mm -hmm. um, what about some of the others of you? I'm newly um, taking a look at the candidates, so I don't have it narrowed down <laughs> to two. Um, I would no, say, no, no, you don't have to either. You got plenty right. of time. Oh, most definitely. So I'm just excited to get to know the candidates, and when I am able to um, attend some of the meetings, I'm, I'm excited about doing that. But I would say um, Elizabeth Warren, uh, Kamala Harris, specifically because of the maternal health crisis. I'm currently studying to become a doula, um, like a midwife, and I know that the maternal health crisis is important to her, um, and that is um, you know something that I'm passionate about. And um, Cory Booker, um, I just missed when he was here. I didn't get to meet with him. 
Um, I guess he'll be back. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, so I'm just going through, taking out, taking a look at their policy plans, and um, you know, seeing where I can get to work at this time around. Janina talked about a specific specific issues in her life that uh, Elizabeth Warren was speaking to. I guess uh, one of my questions uh, for all of you is: How are you thinking about this choice? Uh, are you thinking about it more in terms of specific issues that candidates are putting forward? Are you looking at these candidates and saying who would be the strongest uh, candidate uh, in the fall against against uh, President Trump? I guess I would be thinking about it in terms of who's going to be the strongest against Trump. Mm -hmm. I mean, quite frankly, um, somebody who sounds good to me but is not a, you know appealing to the masses is not going to be amenable to the country at large. Uh, as a result, you know. Pete Buttigieg is the guy who's interesting to me. Um, he's young, yes, but puts across specific policy proposals that are articulate, and uh, you know, people in the part of the country that I live can understand. Um, and uh, you know, for me, you have to balance what do you want in a person versus what is appealing in the broad spectrum. And we're only looking at 80,000 votes in the upper Midwest, quite frankly. And uh, I think uh, Pete Buttigieg does a good job of hitting those people that are enough to turn 270 electoral votes toward the Democrat. And have you met him? I've not met him, actually. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're mostly just judging from the coverage of him? What? Yeah, reading, talking to his campaign operatives, and kind of in my area. So this is interesting. How, how many of you have been contacted by operatives for camp uh, for the campaigns, for organizers? For like all daily. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple times while we were just yeah, just just here. Here. Yeah. Yeah. That's the good thing about committing to someone is then you can say I'm with somebody. <laughs> yeah, but I just wanted to follow Although, up. you know, you, you always, people are always looking for you for their second choice. Maybe their second, or third, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, well, you were going to say Well, something. I was going to say, yes, we need someone to get Trump out of office, but that's not enough. I mean, we need someone who's inspiring, that we agree with, who can reach across the aisle. With all the problems we have, it won't be solved by half of the Democratic Party, or the, half the country and just the Democratic Party. So that's what I like about Beto O'Rourke is half of a million Republicans in Texas voted for him, mm -hmm. voted for a Republican governor as well. Yeah, and I think also like it's not just like who can beat him, but who has like that personality and those qualities that are lacking right now against mm -hmm. him. You know, yes. like empathy and character, and honesty, um, you know, compassionate and all of those things that we need someone to kind of take the mantle up into return the presidency to a place of honor. Yes. That's, that's what we really need. And how do you measure that? Yeah, that's a good question. That's kind of why action, I decided. <laughs> I mean, so, is that something that comes across in your, you guys say you could go I think three, four nights a week and yeah, see candidates? You can just, is that what you're looking for? You can just kind of feel it. Uh, sometimes, like, the more you talk, and, like, I saw Mayor Pete um, at a rally or whatever, and he got heckled you know, by someone. I was there, Irish yes, person. I remember that. You know, and the way that he carried himself and, you know, the way he handled it, it's like, that's amazing. And that's that's exactly the type 
of leader that we need, you know, and I see that in a lot of the candidates that are coming through, you know, this, that, that grace and professionalism and, you know, and, and the ability to listen and, to, you know, kind of, you can take them aside and tell them a story and you can see that the wheels kind of turn up here and like, you know, we, we can, we can help you, you know, we need, we need to do something to help you. Yeah. 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 Karina, you, uh, you're the, I think you may be the, I'm not sure, I don't want to dime anybody out here one way or the other, but you may be the youngest. Uh, yeah, definitely, uh, I think. In, in this, well, you don't have to say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I told her someday that would be a good thing. Well, I felt so nervous because I knew I was going to be the youngest person here. Well, I, I, nothing to be Someone nervous about. No, no. <laughs> right. But how I'm do you look here. at these candidates? You, the, the bunch of them are actually uh, much older than you. Um, does the does the age of a candidate mean anything to you in deciding or? Um, no, not really, not at all. Um, basically, what I look at, and I feel like I want to choose. I want to vote for young people. I guess, um, like thinking back to like the 2016 election, um, I was going to Iowa State living in Ames at the time, surrounded by young people, and it was like Bernie Nation. And then when he didn't win the nomination, I knew so many people who didn't vote, who yeah. supported Bernie, like hardcore. So it's like thinking about electability, and it's like thinking about millennials with low voter turnout. It's like who are, you know, we're gonna lose if that happens again. So mm -hmm. it's like who are young people? Do you think it's gonna happen again? No. I mean, do you um, see that? And you don't think so? Oh gosh, no, I can't. But you're not speaking as a millennial. <laughs> yes, it's true. I have two millennials, and they are—they know more than I do. They're—I'm very proud of this generation. They're a lot. They know a lot more than I did at their age. What do you think about whether they, whether young people are coming out this time? Yeah, I mean, I think they're coming out, but um, definitely, I mean, I hope so. I mean, I'm going to vote, absolutely, but I don't know. It's just like the fear of I know so many people and saw so many people in 2016 my age not vote at all um, because they were disappointed that Bernie didn't receive the nomination. And that's just like, I mean, I don't agree with that mentality. I don't think it's right, but I think that I Did saw. you support him back then? Yeah, yeah, and then when he didn't win the nomination, I got right behind Hillary because I knew I had to. And, and are you supporting him now? Yes. I see. And that's, you're, you've made your decision. You think that... that um, no, not 100%. I mean, obviously not until, I mean, I caucus in February. I'm open. I watch the debates. And, I mean, if somebody else sticks out or I feel particularly passionate about a different candidate, I mean, I'm not, I would change my mind. Tim, what, uh, what are you, you're, you're a, a farmer. Yeah. Does that, do you look at, I'm wondering, there are candidates who have uh, more rural uh, ties. Uh, I was talking to Governor Bullock today uh, as an example, and who tout that. Is that uh, uh, appealing to you? Is that something that you factor into your thinking? Absolutely. I think one of the, one of the big takeaways from 2016 for me was the, watching the map in Iowa, our 99 counties go from 50-some counties voted for Obama in 2008 to 30-some, 40 maybe voted for Obama in 2012 to just six counties voting for uh, Hillary Clinton in uh, 2016. And we, we came back a little bit in 2018 uh, at the top of the ticket doing a little better, but we still did uh, much worse in rural Iowa outside 
the urban and suburban areas and and for us to win back our state legislature for us to win back for us to win statewide in iowa and i think for us to win 270 electoral votes democratic candidate for president has to do better in the rural parts of Iowa, the rural parts of Wisconsin, the rural parts of Michigan. It's been very heartening to me to hear Governor Bullock talk about uh, the importance of doing better in rural America, but also to see the, the plans that uh, Senator Warren and Senator Klobuchar and Senator uh, Gillibrand all put out yesterday. Vice President Biden put out a rural and ag policy a couple weeks ago. And, and to be frank and honest, Donald Trump hasn't been good for rural America. You know, we've seen the trade war that's hurt farm income. We've seen the implementation of the renewable fuel standard favoring oil companies and oil refineries over biofuels producers and farmers. All that has taken money out of farmers' pockets, taken money out of Iowa's economy. And, and we don't have a lot of people left to lose in, in rural America because uh, we've lost so much population there already. And yet he continues to have real strength, political strength, in rural Iowa and elsewhere. Why? Well, I, for one thing, we don't know who the, the other candidate in November of 2020 will be, so a lot of folks don't know who yeah. what their choice is going to be. And so I, that's why I think it's important for candidates right now to be out talking about the issues that impact not just agriculture, that's a piece of it, but you go out to rural Iowa, and if there's a hospital in that town, yeah. they're probably worried yeah. about it Absolutely. Uh, and, and its future. And so when, the, when Congress is talking about repealing the Affordable Care Act, you look at those states that didn't implement Medicaid expansion, they all have lost rural hospitals. Fortunately, in Iowa, we haven't had that situation befall us. But if, yeah. you know, if, if the Affordable Care Act went away because of a change in the Congress and, and the continued uh, efforts by the Trump administration, that would be devastating for health care delivery in rural Iowa. And if you can't get basic health care service, you know, uh, your family had to, had to go to the Mayo Clinic. And thankfully for Iowa, we have like the Mayo Clinic and the University Hospital in Iowa City, you know, we can get some of that specialized services, but, you know, OBGYN and maternity care and emergency room service, you know, the farther and farther folks have to go for those things, the more likely there might be a poor outcome. Absolutely, and that kind of ties in with the maternal health care crisis, exactly. too, you know, yeah. and I do, I've done a lot with Planned Parenthood now, too, and now with the defunding and slashing back on Title X, you know, that is extremely dangerous and scary, you know. Um, you know, and you shouldn't have to drive 100 miles in the state to go see a doctor. Uh, so what are, the, what are the things that you hear most when you go to these events? What are the questions most about? Healthcare is just Healthcare. a universal thing uh -huh. that everyone deals with. And with the aging population, it's something that's, even if you have insurance, there's no guarantee you won't be financially ruined by a major illness. <clears throat> yeah, you know, I, um, it's interesting because if you look at polls, um, cost is really, you know, that's the runaway concern that people express about health care. The debate seems to be, and they're related, of course, about coverage and how we cover, you know, how we get to universal coverage. But as you point out, there are people who are being covered now who still have very, very burdensome costs. Well, I had a patient today, a dental hygienist, but updating her health history, she said I needed this um, medication for my lungs to treat the inflammation. It was $400, so I called and asked for something different, and they phoned in something different, and that was $600 a month, just for one of her medications. I mean, how can people live that way? 
So, um, Steve, you're, uh, still waters run deep. You, I know you're thinking <laughs> about, you because you mentioned earlier that you don't agree with all of these, um, uh, all of these nostrums, all of these plans that are out there. One of the big flare points has been, um, should there be, um, should there be, as Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders have suggested, uh, a Medicare for all system that would uh, eliminate the private insurance yeah. industry? I sense, but I may be wrong. That you know, you, I'm, you have you had to me. I'm not sure about that. You know, that always weighs out. It depends on who's in Congress, and you know, healthcare is always very, very tricky. Um, some of the things that they have brought out, like Bernie has really uh, talked about free education for people. And I think Elizabeth Warren kind of came out and said free college. I don't agree with that. You know, there are some things that I like about them. But overall, these are kind of unrealistic things. In a state in Iowa, I'm Democrat, but we're very moderate about things. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to, I paid for my education. So, you know, people, they get free education. What else do they want free? Yeah, this, that's not the way the society works, it's not the way the culture works, you know. I think when we're talking about these plans and uh, for me, Medicare for all means that we're not saying that you need, uh, if you have a certain amount of money, you deserve to live over somebody else. So I think there really isn't, um, I, I can't quantify, it. it has to be possible. I mean, I know that it's possible that um, every American deserves the right to live no matter how much money they make. And as far as free education, that helps our society. Um, how many more jobs can we create if people are more educated in certain fields? How many more jobs can we create um, to counteract however, whatever the expense is? And that would be wonderful, but it has to be paid for. And I guess with the Medicare for all, you know, to force, it's kind of the better the devil you know than devil you don't. People have chipped, they've chipped away at Obamacare. And I'm afraid if we push Medicare for all in, they're just going to chip away at that too. And I agree because four hundred dollars oh, a pill. So but, uh, there, yeah, there's I, money, so. but there's there's to have the option. I think people are scared to change without knowing. And hopefully, if Medicare for all is as good as we hope it would be, they will go from private insurance to that. But I think it's better to have this transition in the hopes that we will all get there eventually. But it's so drastic for people, and it's healthcare affects all of us. So I mean, look at look inside the state. We've changed from uh, a Medicare, a Medicaid delivery system to an MCO system, and it hasn't worked out particularly well. Piecemeal change is okay. It might not be the change you want right now, but is it, it is the change you want in time? And I'm okay with piecemeal change. I'm 37. I I I I'm not I'm not against Medicaid for, or Medicare for all. However it's okay to take baby steps that direction. Mm -hmm. People in Iowa are not prepared to make drastic changes on, 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 on any president's whim, on any president's signature. I we can get there, yeah. but we've got to get there in right. steps. Yeah. It's you interesting know, that, to me though, because you, you said that um, you, know, you were impressed by Elizabeth Warren yeah. and you know, she's driving around in a bus that says honk if you believe in big structural change. Uh, and that kind of flies in, in the face of what you just said. So there must be something about her, her well, personal you know, qualities or her presentation. You know, everybody has different issues. You know, it might be health care. It might be whatever, you know, certain thing that they're, they want to change. But the bottom line is we're here to find a way to beat our president now. 
So to be so extreme with doing these things, does it really help to beat this guy? Well, you know, when you talk about healthcare, which I, I'm all for, but it's going to take a long time in this, the, the way the Congress works. Healthcare is a tricky, tricky thing. Mm -hmm. But why not find ways? You know, if you want to, you know, free education for everybody, well, why not do something where, when I went to college, my interest rate was fucking astronomical, and I finally paid it off about 10 years ago. Why not make it easier for interest rates to be easier for people to go to college? You know, right now, what I see in, in our society is people can't stay off their phones. How are they going to get through college? Oh, yeah. So we're going to give it to them free, yeah. and then the next thing you know, what else do they want for free? I mean, I can refi my mortgage, but I can't refi my student loans. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, again, it used to be at the University of Iowa 20-ish years ago, mm -hmm. you could pay for a semester of tuition, maybe not books and living expenses, but you could pay for a, sem a <coughs> semester of tuition with a work-study job. And you can't yeah. do that anymore. You can't do that anymore. No. you're a, you're a, you're still in school. Yeah, I'm a student. Yeah, and how are you? Uh, how much of an issue for this is uh, for you? Is this this issue of student loans costs? Um, it's pretty big, I guess. I still have two years left before I'm finished um, with school, and. Um, I mean, I agree with what Steve said about how it does seem a little bit unrealistic to give free public education to everybody. Um, but at the same time, it's like there is no, for me at least, there's no alternative to not going to school. Like if I chose to not obtain a degree because I couldn't get the funding to do so, what kind of life would I have? Am I supposed to survive off of 725, like a minimum wage job? Like, it's not possible. Um, but I do, I guess I would be a bigger proponent of like student loan debt cancellation. And yeah, if you should, if you can refinance your house, you should be able to refinance your student loan debt. I mean, definitely, I think that that's something. Um, free college, as wonderful as that would be, I don't know how realistic it is and what that would look like. Janina, I heard uh, you described your, your, your family's medical situations mm -hmm. and, um, I kind of was watching you uh, when uh, uh, Jeremy and Steve were talking about expressive. taking incremental <laughs> steps, baby <laughs> steps. You don't, uh, you, you're not a proponent of, of the smaller steps. Uh, so I guess I would first like to say um, we learned a lot of lessons in 2016 when um, you were like, uh, is this going to happen again? Will Trump be reelected? We all shook our heads no. So I think for Iowans, we really have to see what is going to be best for the future of America. If we're really going to take the caucuses seriously, we should be really thinking outside of ourselves and outside of our homes. Um, for me, I believe that, first of all, I was the first Latina to graduate high school in my immediate family. I'm the only one with a bachelor's degree. And I started at a community college um, with a Pell Grant, and that's the only reason. I'm an intelligent person. Um, I got accepted into a, a number of four-year universities that I could not afford, absolutely could not afford. Um, I went on to um, teach developmental writing at my community college, and I was a tutor for a time. And um, I think it's really heartbreaking to see um, students, 18-year-olds out of high school, that can barely read. Um, there's no way, there's hardly any jobs that you can get um, without that. So there is structural changes that need to happen in our educational system. But also we need to make sure that college 
is obtainable and technical degrees are highlighted. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that it should not cost so much money to obtain an education. Um, and free, I think Elizabeth Warren's plan is that if you your family income is below a certain amount, then it's free, and then the rest um, of Americans pay their way. Mm -hmm. You're paying very close attention to the details. <laughs> I love it. I, just speaking about the technical school, because I have gone um, through cosmetology school and recently massage therapy, I would almost want to, or any young person that I'm able to have an, um, to, to take some time with, I would like to encourage them about taking um, a vocational technical type of schooling that maybe is not a $50,000 private school education um, and, and get back to um, encouraging young people to open up their own businesses. I came from you know entrepreneurs. My grandmother was a hairstylist here um, in Des Moines for 55 years and she her cosmetology license is 1945 so she did hair my whole life um, and then my mother right behind her was a nail tech um, you know working in salons so I would just if some and I don't have children but I've got you know, stepchildren that I've raised and then just encouraging them to, you know, think about something vocational um, that would maybe be more affordable, that would maybe guarantee their income a little bit more to when they to make their student loans um, so they could pay them. Tim said uh, that um, Donald Trump has been bad for uh, rural America. I, I, I want to return to, to the president for a second or more than a second and, and ask you, um, how you view this election versus other elections. Has he made this a different kind of election for you? Do you feel somehow the stakes are greater in this election than in the normal election? I know Iowans always take this process seriously. Do you think people are taking it more seriously now? Yeah. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, yes. You know, they always say, like, you know, at every rally or whatever I've been to, it's always like, this is the most important election of your lifetime. It's always the same, you know, every two years, every four years it is. But I think this one is more about the heart and soul of our country. Mm -hmm. And it's about our status in the world, and it's about the direction that we, we need to take. And there is going to be a clear choice of which way to go. Yeah, you know? so I need to ask you this. The last four nominees of the Democratic this is how important you people are. The last four nominees of the Democratic Party uh, all won the Iowa caucuses. Yep. It was the gateway through which they had to uh, pass. I worked for Barack Obama. He uh, would not have been president of the United States but for the Iowa caucuses. If he hadn't won here, he would not have been uh, nominated. So there's a very good chance that the person that you choose will be the person who uh, who uh, will face off with uh, President Trump. How will you rate their ability to um, to defeat the president in your view, or do you just assume that if someone appeals to you that they're going to appeal to the country and they'll be electable? I guess you know. The current occupant of the White House is so morally adept that any Democrat would be mm -hmm. favorable to that person. However, you still have to have a person who can beat the current occupant. You guys almost know people who, who voted for Trump. Oh, oh 100%. Yeah. I do. I do. How are those conversations? <laughs> they're not a fan of Trump. However, they're also not a big fan of Warren. They're also not a big fan of some of the other more progressive candidates on our ticket or who are advocating for 
the top of the ticket. And so I'm trying to balance my own desires and also trying to look at what can I, what can I do to bring the majority of Iowans together behind a ticket that is non-Trump. You know, the name that hasn't come up uh, at all here is the person who's leading the polls, uh, and that's Vice President Biden. And one of the arguments that you hear advanced for him is that he is the guy, he's leading in the national polls against, uh, against Trump. Um, but um, I, don't, I don't hear his name here. Why? I that's jeweled. No, I, I guess I see Buttigieg we'll as a, I see Buttigieg as a guy who's essentially war or who's essentially Biden just four decades younger. Okay. Um, and I'm 37, and Buttigieg is essentially my age, and so maybe I see myself more in as like, president. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, yeah. Don't, don't I feel great? Might as well jump in, or everybody else is. Almost win Jasper County. But you know, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with Biden at all. Quite frankly, I just feel like if he had ran in '16, it would have been more effective. And for me, Warren and Biden, their time was four years ago. It's not now. And so I'm looking for a new candidate to drive the Democratic Party in the direction that I still want to see it go. I want to see somebody drive the country forward. And kind of like Obama, still, I mean, in the wake of Dayton and El Paso, we still had a person who could speak presidential in the face of somebody who spoke with such, you know, hubris and, you know. Eloquence. Yeah, I, I, he, he was just so different. He gave us such a different path and gave us a place to imagine where the presidency could go versus where it has currently gone. And for me, Buttigieg can still do that. You know, and, he would be the first openly gay uh, president. Would that be an impediment for your neighbors? You know what? 20 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe it would have. Mm -hmm. But I don't think so in 2019. People have a gay cousin. People have a gay uncle. It's not a big deal. Like, we're past that point. We've turned that page. We were all really quiet about it. And then 2009 came around in the Varnum decision here in Iowa. And then suddenly people were like, oh, oh, I guess it's just a thing. Mm -hmm. And so we're past that. Do you guys all agree with that? No. I mean, oh, just, yeah. You don't? Yes. Right. Uh, I'm part of yeah. the LGBTQ community, and so are you. And I feel like there are a lot of barriers to our community. Um, Maybe, I, I know that a lot of people uh, like Pete, Pete Buttigieg, but I think it's, be, it's despite the fact. I really do. And you think this would be an impediment in a, in a general election? Um, for me, I don't care for Pete um, because he does not do well with black Americans. Mm -hmm. um, he's pulling at maybe 2%, and in South Bend, Indiana, um, he was not able to um, get, get the police force together and um, really bring the communities together. and. Um, and I think anybody, and Joe Biden as well, if you're not speaking to the minority community, you're not fit to be president. You, uh, when uh, I mentioned the vice president, you, you, you had one simple line, which was... No, I think he's too old. You know, again, in 2016, he, he was a much better candidate than he is now, and he, especially when we watch the debates. You know, he's kind of center stage, so he's kind of the guy, patriarch of all of them, but he suffered a little bit. And you have these young guys that are coming at him and stuff, and he didn't quite react. So I'm more pragmatic on who my candidate is because I want to beat Trump. So who's the best guy that can beat him? You know, you can talk about policy, you can talk about health care, immigration, all that stuff. 
We got a guy. We have to have somebody that can beat him. Yeah. You have to have somebody that has bravado, smarts. And again, I was never a fan of Elizabeth Warren, but she's running, in my opinion, the best campaign. She's got great success in the Senate. She's a smart woman. And I think she would go really well against him. And she's got, in my opinion, you know, some of the policies are, I wouldn't agree with, but overall, not everybody's candidate. Does that matter, Tim, these policies? Would that make it? Uh, Jeremy yes. says in, in Jasper County, I mean, you yes. find some resistance. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think one of the blessings we have right now is a overabundance of what could be very strong candidates. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. as we started talking, we take our responsibility seriously in vetting these men and women. And, and hopefully out of Iowa, we'll have uh, a handful, a dozen maybe still, that the rest of the country can then so say. So you feel like if you narrow it down to a, a solid five, then you've done your job. I, I, well, I, I, don't know, I don't know what the number is, but, but you, you alluded to the fact that Barack Obama would not have been president without yes. winning in Iowa and, the, and that the other, the last nominees all won Iowa. And so I think uh, it'd be very hard for someone to win the nomination without coming out of Iowa, either winning or with some kind of momentum. You mentioned earlier that you've all been contacted by these organizers for the campaign. Uh, Sarah, you said you, you're seeking refuge in your Beto place. So as I'm to safe in my Beto bubble. Off your back. Um, what are those interactions like? I'm, I'm interested. I, I remember the young organizers who worked for Obama, and they kind of, they sort of took up resonance in the communities that they were yeah. organizing. And so tell me what these contacts are like. And do you, at some point, do you feel like saying, hey, leave me alone, or I'm going to get a different number, or uh, don't? Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, I, I leave it open. I, yeah. I have a conversation with them. I'm a high school teacher and a college professor, and it's fun to see them excited. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, yeah, I mean, I would, like, my heart of heart is, it, I mean, it just tells me, like, let, let, let them do what they want. I mean, they're, they're, they're encouraged. They feel optimistic, whether it's my candidate or not. I don't particularly care because in my heart, I'm still just, I'm a teacher. And they're excited about a candidate. That's not a bad thing. Right. And I mean, whether it's Republican or Democrat, I, you feel inspired. And the sense of civic optimism in this country uh, wanes uh, precipitously. And so to see a bunch of 21 and 22, mm -hmm. 20 year olds excited about politics and really trying to put the sell on me, mm -hmm. it's kind of exciting, <laughs> right? Like, like, yeah, go for it. Like, I don't support your candidate at all, but Good for let's you. do it. Let's, yeah. I'm sure they'll Good be glad you. to hear that. Yeah, you know, I mean, so do you, uh, uh, and, and these conversations are ongoing, so they keep checking back with oh, you. Oh, they do, yeah. Oh, yeah, email, yeah. text. Yep. I've, I've actually had, I've actually had four campaign staffers or volunteers living with me. <laughs> that I had one that left today who was from Atlanta. From different campaigns? No, 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 all from Beto. Uh -huh. But they are young and they're very inspiring. And whenever I get a text from Bernie or Buddha Judge, I tell them I'm supporting Beto, but good luck and much respect to your candidate. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like going to an ice cream store with these Democratic caucuses and all that. I mean, as long as I come out with ice cream, I may not get the exact <laughs> kind I want, but I'm still going to be happy. I'm sure, a lot of flavors. <laughs> there are a lot of flavors, but they're all good. So they're uh, all good. The, the caucuses themselves, I think people don't really appreciate what that 
experiences like because you know most of America we go we spend five minutes in a polling place we draw the curtain we vote for whoever we want to vote for nobody knows who we voted for and um, and then we leave uh, this is a whole different thing yeah. Yeah. you have to stand up in front of your neighbors you do declare your uh, intentions. Not uh, like Republicans yeah. Yeah, by I secret mean, ballot. Right. Yes. I mean, yes. it, yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about getting a bunch of people out in the middle of winter to stand up and publicly say, I support this candidate or I support this one. And then if they don't have viability, you got to jockey around. And we had people there from all over the world watching us go on for three and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's commitment. You've got to want it. Mm -hmm. But it is an honor to be first in the nation. Let, let me ask you that, uh, about that, because in other places, there's oh, a lot of grousing about you guys. <laughs> yeah. It's like, why should 200,000 or 150,000 or whatever it is, uh, people in Iowa get to make this momentous decision? Uh, you know, what, what makes you, who, who, who anointed you guys? Well, they say that. But they're not getting the five mailers a day, the 10 phone calls a day, the texts, the this, the that. Sounds great from the outside, but <laughs> it is August and we are bombarded. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Retail but, politics is a lot easier in Iowa, though. Yeah. I mean, you know, I fundamentally, I think it's cheaper. It, it's hard to reach people in bigger cities. But, you know, this is, this is a state, it's, it's uh, overwhelmingly white. It is. Um, it is, uh, you know, it, it's a it's a rural state. Although obviously Des Moines is a is a substantial city, and there are other cities in the state or towns in the state. Um, but uh, you know, the the argument is not really reflective of the country as a whole. Is that a is that a fair criticism? Um, no, no. I say no. I think Iowa is kind of special. It's kind of like a microcosm of stuff because you can kind of. You know, you can stay here in Des Moines and talk like rural issues, you know, or like urban issues like within the city and, um, you know, with, with immigrant issues, you know, and, and then take a drive out for an hour, you're in Jasper County and you're talking like rural, you know, rural issues and agriculture and stuff. Um, so I think there's a lot that Iowa has to offer, you know. Um, so we may be underrepresented yeah. as far as minorities, but you can see having Obama elected twice. I think there's a common sense and a everyman yeah. quality here. Plus, we're nice and we're not rude to people who come to our door. <laughs> you are nice. <laughs> you are nice. You are nice. Yeah. That's true. Janina, you. you uh, well, I, I just don't believe that it's fair to say that um, a majority white area could speak for minority communities. And I really um, I, I respect you too, but I, I just don't think that. It, it's fair to say that you can speak and discuss and have conversations about immigrant issues and then really know what immigrants go through on a day-to-day -day basis and undocumented people. But we can also be compassionate about that yeah. and be advocates. I think people and I were pretty smart about You can be compassionate, yeah. but you I haven't walked in your shoes, though, of course. Yeah, Right. Absolutely. So I just don't understand why, uh, why the votes of a majority white. You're compassionate, so you know how to vote for the minority communities. I know how to educate myself about issues and be compassionate about people who aren't like myself and try and advocate for them, whether it's immigrants or minorities. So let's advocate for um, another state that is a little bit more diverse. I think do that you, is- Do you thing. see your role in these caucuses as, uh, as uh, so, representing uh, uh, those perspectives? 
Absolutely. Um, I am a community organizer uh, for an organization, it's nonprofit, called the Latino Political Network, and I do most of my work in areas of Iowa where it's a 50% Latinx population. And within those areas of Iowa, it is very difficult to um, elect uh, Latinos to school board and city council. And I just don't think it's fair um, when the majority of the kids in school are Latino and everybody on the school board is Anglo and white and not bilingual. And those are very, that's very important. It's just fundamentally important. Yeah. That may change over time. Talk about gerrymandering. Well, well there's too. only 23 <laughs> In different states. But just back to what you were saying, Dave, I think what you're saying is that we're not represented. And that's. Right. Um, and, and it's every day. I, mean, I, I walk it every day. You know, we just had an implicit bias meeting at my spa where we work and just in, in, in coming out to a waiting area, greeting a guest and what are your thoughts or the guests, what are their thoughts when they see me? I've had people pause when they see me come out and they're like, oh, okay. You know, clearly did not know that they were maybe going to be serviced by an African-American woman today. And I see it. I've seen it my whole career. <coughs> where I, I see the pause and I know what it means. Mm -hmm. So I think that it is something right. that you like to hear um, where the candidates stand on um, minority issues altogether. And, and then we can have the conversations with mm -hmm. our, you know, um, neighbors and friends right. and co-workers mm -hmm. um, so that they completely can understand it. No, you you're, can't walk in our shoes, but you can understand it a little better how when we're walking this out every day, um, I have a T-shirt that says, yes, there are black people in Iowa. My friend <laughs> makes these shirts and because it's a, it is a thing. And um, I, I do want to see that I see a change happen with that. I do want to see healing. I do want to see reconciliation um, with um, with minorities and with immigrants. Mm -hmm. And I want I do want to see that. So that. And do you think candidates are speaking to that? Um, I think some candidates are. Um, some are. The, yeah. yeah, the candidates that I stand for. And I would also like to say that Iowa has a um, large incarceration rate for Black and Latinos, mm -hmm. um, for disproportionately. So um, we're not doing well on, on policies here right now, so I'm just not quite sure if we're, uh, everybody understands what to look for in presidential candidates. Well, we need more people like you to run for office. Yeah, um, there you go. Yeah. Once I elect way more people. No, you may, you, it looks to me like you may not yet qualify for the presidential race. No, no. <laughs> not even there are many other <laughs> Well, I imagine that you guys are gonna spend many hours communing with candidates, organizers, mm -hmm. thinking about this between now and the end. And um, uh, I, I am impressed by the uh, seriousness with which people in this state take that uh, obligation. And I suspect there'll be a lot of twists and turns in the road between now and then, I mean, we're just at the state fair. We haven't gone through the, uh, the, uh, the steak fry, the, I guess it used to be called the JJ dinner, not any longer, but there are a lot of events along the way, debates, impromptu things that happen that test people. You guys will be watching all of that. Oh yeah, most definitely. Yes. So great to be with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks all right. for Thank you. Thanks for listening. We're going to take the Labor Day week off, and we'll be back on the 9th of September with a second volume of my past interviews with some of the candidates who will be on the debate stage later that week. 
So please join us then. Thank you for listening to The Axe Files, presented by Luminary Media and the University of Chicago Institute of Politics. The executive producer of The Axe Files is Emily Stanitz. The show is also produced by Aaron Buckner, Samantha Neal, Katie O'Brien, and Allison Siegel. For more programming from the IOP, visit politics.uchicago.edu.